Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapters 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Okay, let's try it again, folks. <laughs> On Wednesday, we saw a violent mob overrun the U.S. Capitol building. You know, I never thought in all my years that I would see something like that happen in the U.S. Capitol and the United States of America. And so now I'd like to lead us in a prayer. Uh, I want to offer the same prayer that I posted on Facebook on Thursday and then forwarded to you by email on Thursday. Uh, let's pray. Good and holy God, we bow before you. You alone are the judge of the world, and you judge the thoughts and actions of all people. We confess that as people of Jesus, we have strayed from your way. We have had greater passion for politics than for your kingdom. We have pointed accusingly to the speck in someone else's eye without noticing the plank in our own eye. We have spoken words of hate rather than words that heal. We have built our houses on sand rather than solid rock. And Lord, if you must judge this nation before you can heal it, we ask you to begin with us, your church. We stand under your judgment for not loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
We stand under your judgment for aiming to be the greatest rather than servants of all. We stand under your judgment for listening more to political propaganda than to Jesus. Judge us in your mercy, O God, and forgive us. Heal us. Heal our land. Bring us home from this nightmare of exile. Restore us to the image of your Son, our Lord, in whose name we pray, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Before I get into the message, I want to recognize three people who have done so much to make live streaming a re reality. Donna Sandoval, Alan Hansen, and Chris Bowers. I would say that it's impossible for us to comprehend the investment that this required of them. So, thank you, Donna, Alan, Chris. Now, if you're not watching this Sunday at the 9 o'clock hour, then you're getting just the scripture and the message uh, by a recording. Uh, today, the, to get the whole service in future Sundays, uh, you'll need to tune in right as it's happening at 9 a.m. Today, we're starting a new series on the life of Joseph in the Bible, and we're calling it Regular Joe, A Hard Life with a Guiding Hand. Now, I want to make it clear that when I settled on the, the name of this series, that title, I was, not, I was not thinking about politics at all. The regular Joe of this series is the Joseph from the book of Genesis, and he lived 1,500 to 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Joseph's great-grandparents were Abraham and Sarah. Maybe some of you recognize those names. God called them to move from their home in Haran to the land of Canaan. And God promised that their descendants would become a great nation and that their offspring would one day bless people of all nations. And that leads us to our big idea for the day. Here it is. God is committed to working through us, and sometimes in spite of us, to accomplish his good purpose. Say it with me, would you? God is committed to working with us, and sometimes in spite of us, to accomplish his good purpose. In their old age, a miracle came to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. They named him Isaac, which means laughter. Isaac grew up, married Rebekah, and they had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the younger twin, and he, he was kind of a conniving fellow. Esau, the older son, was foolish. For example, uh, he sold his birthright as the older son to his brother Jacob simply for a pot of stew. And then, conniving Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing reserved for the elder son. One night, Jacob found himself in a wrestling match with a stranger who turned out to be an angel of the Lord, and the angel gave Jacob a new name, Israel, which probably means one who struggles with God. Jacob met Rachel, fell in love, and her father, Laban, said Jacob could marry Rachel in return for seven years of work. 
So after seven years of labor, Laban sent his daughter into Jacob's tent. But in the morning, he woke up and found Leah by his side. Laban had out-tricked the trickster Jacob and slipped in his other daughter. Now, to earn the right to marry Rachel, Jacob would have to work another seven years, which he did. Talk about a long engagement. Jacob's first wife uh, had four sons right away. Bing, 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 although that's not their names. The fourth son, Judah, became the forebear of King David and then ultimately of Jesus. Uh, it's through him that God keeps his promise to Abraham to bless people of all nations. So, Leah has four sons. Rachel, meanwhile, has none. Rachel feels ashamed. So, she talks Jacob into accepting her servant Bilhah as a substitute mother to bear children in her place. Subsequently, Bilhah gives birth to two sons. Well, now that bearing children for Abraham has become a team sport, Leah, who hasn't become pregnant in a while, decides to recruit for her team, like her sister has done. So she gets her servant Zilpah into the game, and Zilpah has two sons. The problem now is that Jacob has four wives. And that just might be a recipe for trouble, you think? And to make matters worse, uh, Jacob clearly has a favorite. He's in love with Rachel and not the other three. So now Jacob has eight sons. Leah has uh, then two more boys and a girl, so they're up to ten sons and a daughter. And then, who would have thought it? After all these years, Rachel becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a boy. And as she does, she asks God to give her one more. She even names her newborn son after that prayer. The name Joseph means, may he add. Isn't that interesting? Rachel uh, does have another son, but, but uh, she dies in childbirth. So Jacob names this baby Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand. And after losing Rachel, jo Jacob intends, I believe, to always keep his youngest close at hand, close by his side. So uh, Jacob ends up with 12 sons and a daughter from his four wives. And uh, the way I look at it, this is kind of the ancient version of a blended family. And whether blended or not, Nothing can poison a family like playing favorites. Isn't that right? Jacob was obvious about having a favorite wife, and now he's obvious about having a favorite son. Genesis 37.3 says, Now Israel, remember, that's Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Scholars aren't quite sure what that Hebrew word means that's translated here, ornate. It could be a coat of many colors, 
Uh, that's how the King James Version translated it. Uh, think of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I want to see that someday. Or Dolly Parton's song about her coat of many colors that her mother made for her. Or it could simply mean it was a coat with long sleeves. Um, you know, I think the New International Version is probably wise to translate it generically since it's a little ambiguous what that word means and just call it an ornate robe. And this coat, this ornate robe, is a daily reminder to Joseph's brothers that he's their father's favorite. Now, let's back up a verse to verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, so four of the brothers. Those women were his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. How would you feel if your younger brother tells dad that you've been slacking off? A little perturbed, possibly? A little put out? You would be tempting, wouldn't it, to, to teach that punk a lesson, and then he'll see how he feels about being daddy's little dandy. And then, to make matters worse, 17-year-old Joseph has a couple of dreams. In the first dream, uh, Joseph and his brothers are out uh, in the field harvesting, cutting stalks of grain, and then bundling them up into sheaves. And then the sheaves of his 11 brothers all bow down to his sheaf. And of course, the brothers take offense at this because they know the obvious meaning that one day they will all bow down to him. In the second dream, the sun, moon, and 11 stars, representing father, mother, and brothers, all bow down to him. Even his father, Jacob, rebukes him for that one. But Jacob also remembers that years ago, God spoke to him in a dream. And he wonders if that same God is now speaking to Joseph. The purpose of the stories of the patriarchs and the matriarchs in Genesis, you know, is not to lift them up as perfect models of faithfulness, because they were not. They trusted in God some of the time, and some of the time they didn't. They lied, they cheated, they murdered, they committed sexual sin. Their actions offended the holiness of God, but you know, that's not going to stop God. God has always been in the business of working with imperfect people. I mean, who else is he going to work with, right? As we said, God is committed to working through us and sometimes in spite of us to accomplish his good purpose. Each Sunday in this series, I want to bring up a, a theme verse for the series. It comes from the last chapter of the book of Genesis where many years later, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. Um, a lot has happened between there, as we will see. But God's guiding hand has always been with them. In Genesis 50, chapter uh, Verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Would you say it with me, even there at home? You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God took the evil that was committed and even found a way to use it for good. It's, it's just like at the cross. God took the evil that, that was committed to Jesus and used it to accomplish the saving of many. The storming of the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday was wrong. It was intended for harm. It did harm. In, in God's world, harmful acts have harmful consequences. But still, we must not underestimate what God can do. Personally, I'll be watching to see what good might ultimately flow from this tragic day. I'll be praying, God, what good are you up to here? Maybe someday historians will look back on this in, you know, 50 years from now and see it as a turning point. Maybe this will be the mark that led to the healing of our great cultural divide. And, and if it isn't, maybe it'll be at least be a step along the way. Remember, God is committed to working through us and sometimes in spite of us to accomplish his good purpose. Let me tell you a story, one very different from what we saw play out on Wednesday. This one comes from East Germany, back when the Berlin Wall was still there keeping people uh, from escaping communism. In 1979, people began to gather every Monday evening in the St. Nicholas Church in Leipzig to pray for peace and justice and freedom. Slowly, the movement began to grow. Those who prayed were often ridiculed, but 10 years later, it came to include many churches and tens of thousands of people. Following the weekly prayer meetings, they went out into the public square with lit candles, standing in defiance to the wall and the communist regime. The St. Nicholas pastor described one particular day he said, for 10 hours, uniformed men beat the defenseless people who did not retaliate. And, and they took them away in trucks. Hundreds of them were herded into stables. And now I'd like to share the words of Marcus Legal, who was 14 at the time. He writes about his experiences in 1989. Military vehicles armed soldiers and police as far as the eye can see. You can even spot them on the roofs of houses. Are they snipers? It's been reported that, that churches are to be used as, an emerg as emergency field hospitals. Has there been an order to fire? It's Monday evening, the 8 o'clock news. I'm sitting, my eyes glued to the television. Dad's out there right at this moment. I, I don't know where to look first, at the old black and white TV or out onto the street. He should have been back ages ago, but he isn't. What if it's the same as yesterday or, or the day before the 40th anniversary of communist rule when the demonstrations reached their initial climax? Dad did come home that Monday evening. It was very late, but he was okay. He had only gotten out of the city by using side roads and diversions. Twice they were stopped by police. 
The following Monday, young Marcus went with his parents to the prayer meeting. He says, What I experienced then was the most extraordinary thing my young eyes had ever seen. This I have never forgotten. Thousands of people gather. They're here to pray. They're praying for peace. The prayer is set to start at 6 p.m. The idea is to use the St. Nicholas Church, but that's already full, and it's still only 4 o'clock. We go down to the Church of St. Thomas. That's full, too, but we managed to find a space. Mom, Dad, and me. We're a family. Not just us, but everyone. Everyone in every church at that moment. People sit and stand wherever there's room. The people pray simple but honest prayers. Many of them probably don't even believe in God, but who else can help them? As the final hymn, Dona Nobis Pacem, Give Us Peace, Lord, is sung, I experience the same miracle that also happened the week before. And then he shares uh, the St. Nicholas pastor's words to describe it. When more than 2,000 of us came out of the church, I will never forget the sight. Tens of thousands more were waiting outside in the square. They were holding candles. When you hold a candle, you need both hands. You have to guard the flame, stop it from being blown out. You, you can't hold a, a stone or, or a club at the same time. And then the miracle occurred. The spirit of Jesus, a spirit of nonviolence, took hold of the masses. The army, fighting patrols and police, they were drawn in, started conversations, and then backed away. Thousands of people with candles, people whom they've never met before, suddenly a family. They lay their candles at the feet of the armed soldiers and the police. The steps of the Stasi building, the organization that, that spied on us, abused us, and sold people out, now awash with candles. It looks like a river of peace and light. On that Monday, it was as if I heard God inside me whisper. Even though it was only a whisper, I was startled. In the same way as this unjust system has fallen, so every unjust system will fall. Fourteen-year-old Marcus shares what he experienced that moment. This word from God, this unbelievable experience of the power of nonviolence, the unrestrainable power of prayer, left me at that moment completely overcome. He then quotes one of the leaders of, com of the communist regime who many years later, before his death, said this. We had planned everything. 
We were prepared for any eventuality except for candles and prayers. God is committed to working through us and sometimes in spite of us to accomplish his good purpose. Let's pray. Oh God, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let us be people of peace and people of prayer. Let us be people of patience and people of perseverance. Use us, O oh God, for your good purposes. By your miracle, turn evil against itself to accomplish the saving of many. We pray in the name of Jesus the Messiah and all God's people said, Amen.